Did you guys have a, a good Easter? Yep, we did too. I didn't actually forget it came this time. Uh, I, I, I'm such a non-holiday person, you know, but this year I, there was a focus on it. As a matter of fact, the focus even spills over to today, which is, which is surprising. Uh, we're going to kind of plug ourselves into a post-resurrection situation. And um, now, I'm not staying with the timeline because I'm going to pull up a story in just a little bit out of the book of Acts that's after Pentecost. So there's a whole 50-day thing between now and then. But uh, the three weeks leading up to Easter as we looked at the various elements of Jesus and the people he interacted with, the friends and family at Bethany, and then the, the people in the crowd and just everything that we talked about, uh, especially how he just loved the disciples to the end, how he loved and washed Judas's feet, even knowing that he was going to betray him. It really did kind of set the stage for Easter to be special this year and personal in a lot of ways. And uh, so this, uh, I think this is a, has the potential to be a little bit of a personal thing too. So tonight I've titled it Living in the Flow of Resurrection Life. And the subtitle down here is The Primary Benefit of the Death and Resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and, and what is that and how we grow and live in it. And we'll come back to a slide like this in a minute and, and fill in the blank. But um, the story I want to start out with, and I'm just going to work through the story in Scripture here, is in Acts chapter 3. And uh, so I'm just going to read it. And I want you to kind of immerse yourself into it. It's a very familiar story. It's about the healing of the lame man, the gate beautiful. And I think this, imagine, see, so here's the setup for it. Imagine the, the nature of the disciples on the trip from Ephraim back to Jerusalem. And they saw uh, blind Bartimaeus get healed. They knew that they were coming into conflict it didn't look like it at first because when they actually made their way into to Jerusalem, it was to the praise of the people and Hosanna, Hosanna and all that kind of stuff. And you don't know what they were thinking. Uh, then they have the, uh, the time with Jesus and he begins to explain. And he points out that one of them is going to betray him. That, you know, we looked at with Judas. Um, and then, of course, the trial and the despair and the fear. It says they were locked up in the room for fear of the Jews. Uh, they watched their, their rabbi and their leader get arrested and get unjustly treated and get killed. Uh, Peter was driven to deny him. Their, their band kind of certainly was under a lot of stress. And I can't imagine at that interval, prior to the resurrection of Jesus on those dark three days, that they ever thought they would have a day like this. But it was really just not very long after this. And, and these are just real people. There's a bunch of other post-resurrection uh, stuff we could have done. We could have looked at the first board meeting of the disciples. <laughs> you know, it's when they, they got in and decided who they're going to replace Judas with. And uh, they hadn't... They hadn't heard about a guy named Saul of Tarsus yet, obviously, that the Lord had set his sights on. And I'm not saying that. I think it was Matthias. It was I can't remember the guy that lost. Who was that? Matthias? And anyway, one of them won the, won the luck of the draw. And I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure he's got an amazing spot in, in, the, in the history of the church. I just don't know much about it. But some time goes by, and then all of a sudden things start to take shape. Uh, Jesus appears, and then, of course, is, is, uh, he is ascended right before their eyes. And once again, they're, half, they're admonished like they were outside the tomb. Why are you standing here looking? In? You know, didn't Jesus say he's doing this? He's coming back. And uh, that could lead to a whole other story. I'm big. But uh, this is one of the first trips after the, after the uh, day of Pentecost, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, after the preaching. Peter and, and uh, John are heading in, probably some other disciples as well, but for sure Peter and John. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. 
When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. So I'm just standing here uh, thinking about the beginning of this story and saying, man, how much stuff has changed because of the resurrection of Jesus? Like, I don't know why that particular gate to the temple was called the Gate Beautiful, but I know from God's perspective, it was partly because of that man that was set there every day. But that's not anything that we could have known had Jesus not invaded our lives with a fresh vision of what's important and what's not, and who's important and who's not. And so, anyway, that's the scene. And uh, Peter said, I don't possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Again, I don't know that the disciples in that intervening time after the arrest, certainly the crucifixion, before Jesus appeared uh, after the resurrection, if they could possibly have conceived in their heart, even though Jesus talked to them about some of this kind of stuff, that they possibly could have conceived in his heart and overcome the sense of loss and absence that he was there. But here it is, and they're there. And while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. Now, let's listen to this next part, though, because I think there's some Holy Spirit-inspired, Jesus-inspired wisdom here. And I would say Jesus-inspired because I believe Jesus was here. And I think that's the big lesson I want us to see today, is that Jesus is with he is with us. And that is, um, a form of that is what my fill-in-the-blank thing is about the primary benefit of the resurrection. And on the, uh, But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this, or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? And that question is a lead-in to a section of a message that I'm not going to take the time to read through tonight, but it's, it's uh, one of Peter's first sermons, and, and he, he just talked about Jesus and about these guys turning him over to Pilate, having him crucified, and it was a rough message. It was a pointed, challenging message. But he said this, Why do you look as if by our own power of piety we had made him walk? And that's a point that I want to develop a little bit because we're going to jump into another part of the scripture. And on the basis of faith in his name, this is what happened to the man. On the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you uh, see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. The reason I wanted to choose this post-resurrection encounter and post-resurrection revelation about how things are different now that Jesus is raised from the dead and ascended to the Father, is because he promised that his ascent to the Father would be something that would be good for us. And that is hard to imagine, especially if you'd walked with Jesus or if you ever imagined having him right here physically with us now. But he didn't lie about that. He promised it. And this is one of the very first manifestations of that. Obviously, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was too, because that was the promise that was waited until he was glorified with the Father. But however we think about it, the concept of Jesus being with us and in us, we're probably thinking of it too small, too insignificant. Uh, I've had a super busy week today, and it's, it's had a lot of neat interaction with people. I had a uh, prayer meeting with uh, some local pastors, and... It was good, and I love those guys and gals, and uh, I admire them tremendously. I respect them. I respect what God's doing through their lives and their churches. But I do have to be honest, there is, a, there is always a time where when we get, as, as, as pastors and church leaders, we get together to pray, it's as if God is a million miles away. There's not a, a real aggressive, conscious, intentional recognition 
the hope of glory is Christ in us. And so there's, as a result of that, there is a sense that kind of rises up and seems spiritual of desperation in prayer. And then there's a sense of grasping for authority in one way or another. Um, there was a little bit of prayer about just stuff going on in the country, and everybody was gracious about it and good. And I don't mean this critical, but, but I think you know what I, I, I mean is you can tell that it's not front of mind that Jesus would, would say, don't let somebody say, hey, he's over there. Let's bring him down from here. Or let's bring him up from here. Because the kingdom of God, of which he is the king, is in you. Is in you. And, and it was the same. Vicky uh, and I listened to the last two days. Uh, Harold Everly had a, another theological roundtable. And there was about, what would it say, about 35 people there, something like that, 35 leaders? Something like that. Yeah, it's a full, full screen. <laughs> it's how you measure people now. Full screen plus another group. Anyway, uh, it, was, it, was so, it was so good. I can't tell you how good it is. There was actually one thing that Katie Scourge talked about that I was tempted to just scrap everything and talk about tonight. But we'll get to it quick. I'll just give you a, a quick precursor so you can think about it. What is the difference in the gospel if you start thinking about it and talking about it from Genesis chapter 1 versus starting it, thinking about it and talking about it from Genesis chapter 3. Oh my gosh. So we'll, probably next week, unless the Lord gives me something better to talk about. It, it's amazing. It was amazing. So it, it was super good on a lot of fronts. It was really, really good. But I could still hear people wrestling with questions about God without knowing that they had every permission to slow down and bring God into the very midst of the question. And, and so that's what I think these guys were experiencing. And so he preaches that amazing sermon, and then as it goes on, and I'm not going to go there, but as it goes on, uh, you know, they were arrested and they were brought in, and it was overwhelming. I mean, the, the, the Sanhedrin said, well, we know they've done a maybe miracle. There's nothing we can do about it. So they threatened him, and they decided, let's just, let's just lay down the law, use our authority, and tell him not to teach in any way, shape, or form in the name of this man. And without hesitation, Peter, who, let's say 52, 53 days before, had been intimidated by being associated with Jesus in the, in the court of Pilate by a young servant girl, without hesitation, said, well, let me ask you this. <laughs> Is it right that we should answer to men or to God? And they didn't have a response. So something's changed, big time. Something's changed. All right. Um, this part I want to emphasize, why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we wait and walk? We're going to talk about healing, Okay. And I want, I want us to think through this. I'm not going to try to establish a doctrine, but I, I know that there's all kinds of questions about it. And uh, at our, I, I'm so grateful for this too. At our elders meeting last month, um, we made a serious commitment to bring the miraculous and bring serving one another as, as miraculous sons and daughters of God to the front in what we're going to be doing. And we've, we've, we have some. And there's more to do, and, and we're going to continue to do that. So I'm going to talk about that. And then the realization that if it's not by our own power or piety, that it is the name of Jesus, and all that that name recommends that, that had strengthened him and made him perfect. So living in the flow. So I'm going to see if I can... I think I got this on. The primary benefit of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now... Um, I'll just take a quick poll, but how many of you at one point in your Christian life would have said the forgiveness of sins? I would have, at one point. Uh, is there anything else that, that comes to mind? Eternal life, going to heaven. There you go, going to heaven. Eternal life. Uh, here's, here's what I think it is. Union. 
There's a couple places we could have looked at this. One was out of uh, John chapter 13, or I mean, uh, John chapter 12, where Jesus said, If I be lifted up, I will drag all men to myself. But I chose this scripture. This is in John 14. So this is backing up prior to the arrest and prior to the, the trial. And Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure. And he said this, After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And I would propose to us that it's worth thinking about consciously a lot. And using the example in Acts chapter 3, that that reality, you and me, and me and you, is what Peter was talking about, and what he experienced. That's what we, that's what we gained from the death and resurrection of Christ. He established union that had been broken at the fall between us and God and between God and us. And as, as, as wonderful as all the, the meetings and situations and studies and everything that I was a part of this week, I really realized that if, we don't, if we're not conscious of that, we don't think that way, we can so quickly slip into a sense of distance between us. We can slip into a sense of service where we're doing something for him. And then I started thinking about praying for the sick. And I, you know, it's not hard for me to recall uh, a number of times that I've done so. It's not hard for me to recall some times where there were amazing results. It's not hard for me to recall times where there were no immediate results. And I found out later that the person was healed in close proximity to the prayer. And they didn't remember, remember Charles in the wheelchair and everything, and he didn't even call us back. It was only just like a little while, like a week later or something, found out. But, and I'm not that it was mad. I mean, it just slipped your mind. I'd be excited too. If I couldn't walk and started to walk, I probably wouldn't think to go through my address book and thank everybody prayed. But um, as much as any of those things are, for, are, are, are testimonies and remembrances, they also do signal occasions where it's easy to forget that Trice is in us and that this isn't something we have to do on our own power. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, this sir. Slide, this slide reminds me of Shrek. Anybody because? know why? No. Because if you change U in union to an O, it spells onion. Okay. And onion's got layers like parfait. Okay. So there's layers and layers to discover about the universe. Okay, all right, cool. Well, that's, that's not a bad thing to remember. That wouldn't have been my primary point, but uh, you're correct. <laughs> uh, so I, I am proposing that union is the primary thing that we gained from the death and resurrection of Jesus. An experience of union. A real, genuine bring, being brought together. All right, so... I don't normally preach out of the Passion because I find it kind of challenging to do word studies out of and stuff. But I do love the Passion, and I enjoyed a few years ago getting to meet uh, Brian and uh, the guy that translates it, and uh, Brian Simmons. Is his name right? Brian Simmons? And um, he and his wife just just, uh, came across as just amazingly wonderful people that are intimate with God prophetically, and so I, I appreciate it. So I did want to go through this. And this is John chapter 15. This is setting the stage for putting some understanding to union. And I want you to listen to this stuff as we read through it with praying for the sick in mind. I am a true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me, by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words that I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. So you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. Now, there's a couple things I want to point out. One, he cares for the branches connected to me. The idea of the father being a husbandman that cares for the branches, as opposed to just 
like a farmer with a tool belt and shears. I, I love the way that's thought of. And we can choose to think about the Father however we want. All right? And then you guys know from listening to me teach that the word aero, the Greek word there, which is in many translations translated take away, which is somewhat of a legitimate translation. But God helped the, the decision makers that translated it cut off because there's no justification for the word aero to mean cut off. Aero is the Greek word from which we get our English prefix aero for such things as aeroplane or aerodynamics. It means lift. It means lift. Arrow garden. I don't know how that has anything to do with it, but yeah, you grow onions in arrow garden. Uh, so he cares for the branches by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches. One of the things that flows if uh, out of realizing union is the byproduct of the death and resurrection of Jesus is that it makes it very difficult to think that the father's first go-to husbandry technique or management technique is to cut his children off. Why would that be? Why would that be? So I'm willing to go to the mat on, on translating arrow, lift. And the other places that support it are the guy that was lowered through the roof on a mat. And Jesus said, lift up your mat and walk. He didn't say, cut off your mat and walk. So it's, there's just a bunch of it that's that way. But I just love the personal way of this. So he cares for us, the branches that are connected to me, by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The reason I like this is because there, there's other translations, and it's good to say cleanse and prune and cleanse and prune. But there's a purpose to God's husbanding us, and it is for fruitfulness. It's for fruitfulness. And then Jesus said this, the words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. Now, think of the important point about this. If we get this wrong, we're going to constantly be looking to be clean or to be cleansed. When did Jesus say this in relationship to his death and resurrection? Before. The words that he said to them as he walked with them. Now, I'm not saying the words he said afterwards when he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit as the Father sent me, so send I you. I'm not saying those words didn't cleanse as well. I'm saying the dialogue between Jesus and us is the thing that cleanses us. We don't have to invest his death and resurrection as the only cleansing act. It's not. It's the relationship that is cleansing. It is the dialogue, the communication. The words that I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. Now, as a result of that, as a result of being clean and having life, so you must remain in life union with me. And I love the way he puts life union with me. Uh, it, it's marrow, it's, a, it's abide, dwell in, stay. You can do all that. But life union with me. For I remain in life union with you. And that reflects so aggressively to me on what it says in John 14. In that day, you will know. Not in that day, it will happen. In that day when the Holy Spirit has come, that day that preceded this story of Peter, you'll know that I'm in my Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. To me, that last phrase Live your life intimately joined to mine is the objective of Christianity. And when we substitute lesser things, or when we substitute things that don't depend on the fact that the words I've spoken over you have already cleansed you, if we don't realize that, we're going to be taking the events of life, we're going to be taking the prayers, the graces of God, and we're going to be expecting them to serve a function of cleansing us that is already functionally done. And you can reflect back a chapter or two when Jesus was, we talked about last week, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, and Peter said, no way, never going to wash my feet. And he said, well, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Well, then wash everything. No. The man who's clean 
just needs his feet washed. And that feet washing is probably going to happen by the words of Jesus being spoken to your heart and my heart. Because we're in a relationship with him, but the point of that relationship, the way that relationship finds its fullest expression is by living our life in intimate union, intimately connected with him. Okay? Verse 5, he restates it. I'm the sprouting vine, and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life, union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you will ask whatever you desire, and it will be done. And when your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. So here's the areas I want to emphasize there. And I'm going to start with a disclaimer. I don't have, if a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned, highlighted, because I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that. Um, But what I will do is try to talk about the things around it that mitigate for me the concern that that verse has the potential to raise. I am the sprouting vine, your branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. Does that strike any of you as cool? As opposed to live in, live with me, live for me in such a way that fruitfulness will, that you can make fruit come out of your life. That you can, oh, fruitfulness. Live so holy, live so intimately in, in, in prayer, live so fasted a lifestyle. I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm saying the promise of this thing that Jesus is saying is that if you will live in intimacy with me, fruitfulness will flow out of you. Just like he said outside the temple that day, that uh, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And out of your belly of rib, of, uh, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water because of the drink that you take. But if you live a life union with me and my word, so here's the contrast part to that. If we live independent and we live as if we're cut off and as if we're separated, um, none of that life is going to be experienced. I've been working a lot theologically and biblically on the nature of our response and how important it is. Because it's easy when you start talking a lot about the goodness of God and what Jesus has done and the grace of God to think that our response, somehow our response becomes less and less important. I don't believe that's true at all. But I've been working on trying to understand and, and, and have language to talk about it. So we'll get to that. This, I think, illustrates the reality of of the importance of our response. He's the one that created union with us on the cross. He's the one that dragged us into his presence. But as a result of that, it's up to us now to respond to that. But here's the promise of that. But if you live life, I mean, if you live in life union with me, and my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire, and it will be done for you. Now, I've heard a lot of people that have qualified this verse, and I've done it myself in times past. You can ask whatever is according to the will of God. And that's just another one of those vicious cycles that puts us on the outside and keeps God's will a distant, unknowable thing. And the truth is, Jesus didn't qualify like that. And now I think I know, I'm beginning to know why. It's because... If we live in life union that Christ provided when he drug all of us to him on the cross, if we live in life union with him, every part of our life, including our will and desires, is going to begin to be conformed to the image of his son, which is what Paul revealed was God's purpose and redemption from before the foundation of the world. In love, you and I were predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. 
One of the aspects of that conformity is if we live and yield to the intimacy that is the result of being drawn in Him, if we give ourselves to the knowledge that He is in the Father, and we're in Him, and He is in us, then the reshaping, the reformation of our desires, the reformation of our likes, our will, it doesn't rest on us as an independent work. It's not an independent act of discipleship. It's a byproduct of our union with God. Okay? Now, whatever you desire, that could either put a lot of pressure on you, or it can take a lot of pressure off. So for me, I'm thinking about a lot, weekly, uh, sometimes daily, mostly weekly, I'm thinking a lot about, Lord, we do want. We, we, we want you to be free to do the supernatural among us. We want you to be free to heal. We want you to be free to provide. And I know what it's like personally. I know what it's like uh, with, with some previous theology and some previous pastoral purpose. I know what it's like to feel pressure from that. But this doesn't speak of pressure. This says whatever you desire. If there's pressure being carried to perform the fulfillment of these desires, it's not on me. It's not on you as we live in union with God. It's on him. And Jesus said he only uh, did what he saw the Father doing, and these words are not his own. They're the Father's working in him. So this unqualified promise that we could have what our heart desires if we live in life union with him, and if his words live powerfully within us, it's an unqualified promise. How can we believe it? Or how dare we not? And I think the, the thing is we see it flowing out of our life with God. We don't see it as a Christian discipline outside of that. We don't see it as uh, an attainment that is acquired by faith. And I'm all for faith. But I think that we recognize that this is who we are made to be and how God has desired from the beginning to respond to us in union with him in Christ. Okay? Uh, when your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify the Father. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. <laughs> you must continually let my love nourish your hearts. Another reason I chose to, to, to look at this out of Brian Simmons' translation is it so organic and so relational? But isn't the story about being part of the vine that way? There's sap flowing. There's life flowing. There's, there's the thing that makes the thing grow and live. Uh, you must continually let love nourish your hearts. If you keep your, my commandments, you will live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands. For I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. The other thing I liked about this, we're going to get to it when I emphasize a little bit, but the parallel between um, the Father loving the Son and the Son loving us, and, the, and us enjoying the Father's love that he loves the Son with. And you guys know we've been in John quite a bit. So in John 17, it's all about that. You're going to love him with the same love you love me with. Um, my purpose for telling you these things is so the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. Do you see how there's nothing in that whole paragraph about works or labor or any kind of weird responsibility? There is, live in union with me so that love flows, purpose flows, joy flows. So this is my command. And then he flips it. Love each other deeply as much as I've loved you. It's the same thing. We've been invited into the literal love that the Father gives to His Son. And as we step into that, as we live in union with that, as we were dragged into that, all of a sudden now, the most natural thing for us to do is love one another deeply. And it is the fulfillment of the law. You like? So this is my command, love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. Now this was shared prior to the cross, 
But imagine the impact of it now as we have the cross to look back on and and understand what was really going on there. Yes, Ronnie. You mentioned um, on the first verse, verse 9, that there wasn't a lot, or what I interpreted what you said, there wasn't a lot that we had to do except live in union. And, and, and engage in what the union consists of, which is love. Okay. So a friend of mine, that's a way to say in the past I sure. thought this. It says, if you keep my commands. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a big deal for a lot of people. It is. And so what would you say to someone that says, well, I don't, how do I keep every command and how can I even do that? I would say read the next verse. Uh, actually, two verses later. If you keep my commands, because in verse 12 he said, so this is my command. And unfortunately, when people come uh -huh. with you at that argument, they are importing a series of commands. They've either carried something over from the old ways, the old law, right. or they have felt that, that to, to really understand the New Testament, they have to go through and analyze all the things Jesus said. And I've heard it said that there's like 614 or something like that, or 1114 something, that have been interpreted as commands. Mm -hmm. But that seems silly to me, and it seems sort of destructive to the point of what Jesus was saying, because literally two breaths yeah. later, okay. he identifies his command. Good form. I thought that was, yeah. Now, all right, how about this? Let's say that I'm wrong. And let's say really uh, that even though it never says it, that the smarter thing to do or the right thing to do is because God used the Holy Spirit to inspire 1,130 commands that you can extract from the New Testament if you want to read things like that as commands. If I love all of you and all of my neighbors deeply and I seek to live in a real, genuine, conscious union with the Son of the Father, Does anybody really think that you're going to get scolded for making that choice because you missed some of these other extrapolated commands? I don't think so. I think what really is going to happen is that there's going to be tears wiped from our eyes when we realize that we substituted some of these other mechanically interpreted commands for the simple act of loving one another deeply. Loving the one that is in front of us. To me, I think we need to take Jesus at his word. He was literally preparing his disciples to face his own arrest and crucifixion. He wouldn't have omitted important things, I don't think. And then, especially when, when, when he says, look, love each other deeply uh, as I have loved you, when do you think it might eventually have dawned on the disciples? Jesus is not just a victim. He's there loving us. When was the first conversation that happened between two of the disciples after the night in the Kidron Valley when, when, uh, when one of them says, I just had a thought. Do you remember when we were out there in the night and all the soldiers came up and the guards and Judas was there and everything? And they said, uh, he said, who are you here for? And they said, Jesus, Nazarene. And he goes, I am. And they all fell down. Now, I doubt they thought much about that when Jesus submitted to being arrested and when he was being whipped and when he was being out of the... But some point, they had that thought. Maybe he wasn't a victim. Maybe. Of course, the Holy Spirit's now going, <laughs> maybe he loved us. And that's why he said, take me. That, we need to start hearing that. We need to start thinking that way. Because the greatest love of all is the love that sacrifices all. This stuff obviously came back to mind. Otherwise, John wouldn't remember to write it down. So uh, the idea of let love nourish your hearts. When we 
take on the kind of, when we make the kind of commitment that we made and that we are currently engaged in right now, that we are going to continue to prophesy, we are going to continue to pray for the sick, we are going to continue to pray for provision or anything that the Lord needs, or people need. The only way we're going to survive the potential pressure of that is to let love nourish our hearts. To realize that we're not doing it apart from Jesus. And apart from him, we can do nothing. We're doing it with him. And that's why I wanted to get in that verse where Peter said, why do you think that it's by our own personal devotion or piety that this happened? This man received this strength through the name of Jesus. The one that you crucified. <laughs> so, yeah, this is... And I say it's a rough message. So if you keep my commandments, and Ronnie, this is to that, my commandment is this. That was, that's the link there in that reference. Uh, but the idea of being continually nourished and empowered. And now this all of a sudden points out to me the beauty of the illustration of the vine and the branches. Is that the only negative thing spoken about, not even fruitlessness, is really negatively spoken about. Because it says that my father cares for these, and he's going to lift them up, and he's going to prune them so they'd be more fruitful. Get them off the ground, get them tied up, whatever. The only negative thing is to cut yourself off from the flow of life, to be separate from that flow. Uh, And so this is it. For the greatest love is the love of sacrifices. Okay, here's the last one, I think. You show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I command you. He just commanded them to love one another deeply as he loves them. I have never called you servants, Because a master doesn't confide in his servants, and servants don't always understand what the master's doing. But I call you my most intimate and cherished friends. Brian Simmons, I didn't want to go with all the notes and everything, but he says that in the Aramaic, the reason he translated it that way is because it means one out of the womb uh, like I am, one of a family member, intimate, close, uh, that type of thing. So it says, but I call you my most intimate and cherished friends, for I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my Father. You didn't choose me, but I've chosen you and commissioned you to go to the world to bear fruit. Now, that well, we'll get there in a second. And your fruit will last, because whatever you ask of my Father, for my sake, he will give it to you. So this is my parting command. Love one another deeply. I call you my most intimate and cherished friends. I've chosen and commissioned you to go into the world and bear fruit. And then he makes this assertion. And your fruit will last. Because whatever you ask of my Father for my sake, he will give it to you. Earlier, and you don't really recognize it in Simmons' translation, but uh, earlier, it says, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. Done for you. If we can understand that and believe it, the pressure on us to perform as Christians will diminish like nobody's business. I've begun to experience that a little bit. Uh, A few weeks ago when the Lord told me, did I not say, apart from me you can do nothing? So does it not follow that you will not be held accountable for anything that you don't do apart from me? that you can't do with me? And I go, yes. And my lists, daily lists, haven't gotten any shorter. Actually, more things do get done. (laughs) But my anxiety level from that thing that he called uh, disconnected responsibility is way, way down. Way down. And I believe that that doors are possible. Now, I was tempted... I was tempted to think about that anxiety level and to experience that anxiety level going up when I particularly started thinking about healing because I wanted to be really honest about it. And so, like, I know Laurel has some physical conditions that need to be healed. Uh, I don't know if I see Jim and Julie, but we should still be praying. Oh, cool. But, uh, but you know, I, I still would like to see those, those stroke things revised. Elizabeth's up there with medical conditions that we need to be praying for. My feet are getting a little bit better, but they're still an issue. Sterling's ears, yeah. And, uh, you know, we've got some friends coming out here to visit us that have some medical issues that I want to be able to pray about. Um, That can put pressure. That can put pressure. But 
It's this. It's Him. It's be done for us. And it's not something disconnected. There's, it's not like there's no reason for that to make sense. It makes sense because we live in vital union with God. This is great. I love those scriptures. Me too. <laughs> I mean, that's where we've been going for a long time. And I want to preface this by saying I love those scriptures and I believe in those scriptures and I believe everybody here is in union with God mm -hmm. and I believe everybody that I see and know is mature sons with God. But you skipped over one that I, I need to go back to. Okay. Because it seems harsh. It seems like it's there where none of the other scriptures are like that. It's the one you didn't want to address. The cutoff one, yeah. The 15 6. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's pretty harsh when he talks about those branches will be burned up. I mean, somebody might make a case that he's talking about hell in that one. Uh huh. Do you think so? I mean, I, I know you haven't addressed it, but what are your feelings about 15.6? I think that, okay, if I were to put my feelings in a super quick nutshell, I think living a life that you choose to live independent, outside the flow of the union, mm -hmm. creates situations in your life that can only be cleansed by fire. Burned up. Uh, Jesus said, every man is going to be salted by fire. Mm -hmm. Paul said, every man's works is going to be tested by fire. And uh, if they're made of wood, hay, stubble, uh, they, they will suffer loss, but they themselves will be saved. So, I don't feel compelled to press this all the way to an eternal damnation destruction mm -hmm. in an in a eternal conscious torment thing. I, don't, yeah. I, I, I no longer feel compelled to to say that's what this means. But I also like to caution all of my friends who are also thinking in those terms to say, let's not, let's not be naive about the fact that there is stuff that comes and is born of independence and arrogance. It's born of ignorance even that stays out of the flow of God, that doesn't stay connected. There's disappointment that creates bitterness when these prayers don't get answered because we're not in that life union, let's not be naive about the fact that there's no place in, in eternity for those things. They have to go. They have to be transformed. And so um, I think that the nature that is formed when we, are, when we cut ourselves off from Christ is not a nature that can last into the ages. And I, I, that's, that's what I would answer since you forced me to answer when I didn't want to. <laughs> Let's zoom forward. I'm open to other thoughts. Uh, I just don't... Here, here's the part that gives my heart a lot more comfort. I'm not supposed to concentrate either personally or pastorally on what life is like when you don't live in union with Jesus. Is it possible for people to live outside that union with Jesus to ignore it? Yeah, I think so. I do. And I, I think the consequences are negative, so let them be negative. But uh, I know that there's so much more to focus on by being in a live union with him and by staying in that union. That, And, and then can he be trusted with those other branches? I think he can. And so I'm not... I don't, I, I, he doesn't have to answer it, and I don't have to pretend to know how he's going to manage it. Do I think he is a husbandman, a farmer, a father, who is sitting there rubbing his hands, licking his chops, going, I'm glad a couple of these guys didn't stay in good union because it's going to get cold tonight, and I want something to throw in the oven and keep me warm personally. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. I don't have an image of the father that way. I don't think that's... The, in the motives of his vineyard keeping or vine keeping this. You want to move forward or should I stay here? Stay here. Okay. Just addressing the same, oh, yeah, same sure. situation. What happens with that scripture is if you're not if you're not establishing God's love, the Father's love, mm -hmm. if you're not understanding that, then that type of scripture, the enemy comes and you do something wrong, and he attacks you with it. See? 
see this there you go mm -hmm. and that's we just have to safeguard ourselves with all the stuff that you presented tonight all the good things mm -hmm. all the healthy things that that we should be looking at and taking in yet that one scripture all of a sudden that nullifies in, all that yes yeah yeah and, and and i'll tell you it doesn't just nullify it it, it doesn't just nullify it. and i'm not trying to nullify that scripture i say stay in union with with jesus and draw on his life i'm not trying to nullify that but what i am trying to say is that if you if you think the way richard just described then almost for sure one of those other commands ronnie is going to be i've commanded you to be fruitful and so all of a sudden now our life is judged by fruitfulness as opposed to allowing fruitfulness to be a natural byproduct of what's going on with the Lord. Keep it brief. We've got to get, get going. So it reminds me of don't be anxious about anything, but in everything let your requests be made right. known to God. So it's, it, in, in order to let your requests be made known to God, you have to somehow try to... Recognize that union. Not, stay not in, be separated. Yeah, stay in union. And, and, and then, so it's another way that even if it feels like it's leaking right. in, you can get it out. Are, are there things that could cause anxiety? Yes. Is that what that scripture is about? No. It says, don't be anxious for anything. Yeah. yeah, there's anxiety out there that can be. But but the, the union thing is the thing that I think delivers us from that, and legitimately. The, and the end of that is, and the peace of God will Which guard passes. your heart and mind. Yeah. In Christ, in Christ Jesus. Jesus, it will, it will. All right. Yeah. Okay. It's fine. I mean, we can talk about anything you want. I just don't want to yeah, steal I'm all the worship just saying, time. I, I want to back to union and as it applies to healing. So tell mm -hmm. me if you agree with this. Okay. So since He's in us, we're in Him. Then when we lay our hands on somebody, that's Jesus. It is because He's using a vessel. It is. So I just want to make sure we're yeah, on the same yeah. page. Here's, here's, uh, so I'm going to read to you something that the Lord said to me in my journal. And I was, uh, you know, again, I was feeling some pressure because um, I've prayed for a few people recently, and uh, some stuff's manifest. I've prayed for a few that it didn't. That always kind of, you know, eats at you. wonder why. So uh, this, was, this was me and Jesus talking about something. Um, I said, Jesus, what more commission and release and authority do we need? And I go, honestly, that's sort of a rhetorical question, but, but not, too. You know? In other words, am I missing something? And I have, uh, this is a really short time with the Lord. I mean, it's not that short a time, just a short amount of words. I have other pages that look more like that, you know, with a session with the Lord. And if I were to be honest with you, I kind of like the longer answers. Because it feels like I, I can, you know, he can walk me through. But, but here's what he said to that. So I said, uh, you know, he said three things. Take your position in union with me. Ask what you will, and it will be done for you. And I go, well, Lord, if I'd known it was that easy, I'd have done that a long time ago. <laughs> no, Jen, I want to say that is it. That is it. It is him and us, us and him. It's the realization of this union. It's not taking the union for granted. It's not trying to figure out how things work without that union being a central reality. That's one of the huge things. That's what I heard today among some of the comments that pastors were making and what I hear when I pray with the other guys is our sincerity to see a revival happen or to see the church awaken becomes more important than our awareness that we are actually in union with Christ and through Him with the Father. And therefore, rather than assuming our position in union, we try to figure out how to make revival happen. And, and I just, I don't want to, and I, to tell you the truth, I'm super excited that I don't think we have to be in that position. I think we can be little children Believing this union and in the goodness of our Father, we can lay hands or we can preach. Uh, we could pray for healing across Zoom, and and it's and Jesus is going to do what He's going to do. So now I'm wondering, since you've used the 
phrasing about asking. So then would you say you're going to approach healing with asking Jesus to do something versus releasing, declaring? I, uh, the the truth is, in this process and in that answer even, uh, that did occur to me. You know, Lord, wh what is the role for us declaring? What is the role for us releasing? What is the role for us asking? Um, I reflect back a little bit uh, on, and I just want to receive guidance from this because I believe that we got a picture of Peter and John literally walking in this union with Christ in them. And so when they were confronted with the opportunity, they made a very firm declaration. Look at us. Give me your hand. Rise up and walk. Then as soon as the crowd gathered around, they said, why do you think we did that by our own strength? This was Jesus that did this, the name of Jesus. I don't know the right blend of that in my own heart and head. Asking um, to me almost feels more separate than united and flowing. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's I, I, but here's what here's what doesn't trouble me about the question. Uh, certainly not the fact that you ask it, but just the question. Period. The answer is going to come to me inside this intimate life union with Jesus, and so I'm not going to. He's not going to withhold healing because I've got a nuance wrong in this situation. If I'm on the inside, just being a kid, just being a, a much-loved little child, saying, Daddy, I want this person healed. Um, I remember a time, and it's, it's kind of sad it was a while ago, but I remember a time where I had been wrestling with this question, and the way it was manifesting at that time was I was visualizing Jesus literally being in and with me, like I could see him in a vision. And this young gal came up, and she had an abscess in her gums. And so I, 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 I was 100% concentrating on sensing the presence of Jesus. And I literally like sensed him standing half in and half out of me in front of her. It was right here. And, and so I was talking about that, Lord, I just thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you're the healer, da 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 And he whispered to me, you do have to tell it to go. Mm -hmm. So I reached out and I touched the side of her face and I said, Abscess, go. She healed in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Boom. Instantly healed. So, um, I'm, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not under the pressure to give the right doctrinal answer. I'm under the freedom to pursue that in the moment in Jesus with him. And so I certainly don't feel like we can only ask and we're presuming on something that's not legitimate when we release or declare. I don't think that at all, as a matter of fact. But I also don't feel compelled to uh, get the release right before I have confidence that I'm doing the right thing by bringing healing. Okay. So, and, and, and I would encourage you to live in the awareness of the intimacy and Zappo, man. I mean, what you know? This is the point. The other thing that I just want to remind you of. Is... Oh, Alan. Yeah, buddy. Sorry, brother. You, you you explained it better than what I could. But I remember when I was involved with John Lake Ministries, that Curry uh, used to say, you know, you praise if it's all up to you, and then believe it's all as if it's all up to God. If you know what I mean. Yeah, but, Curry Blake. Yeah, I remember him saying Blake. that. But but I I I love the fact you, you, when when you just said that um, you know experience being in with him, being one with him, that's probably another layer which I just wow, that's cool, brother. And that's you. I think you you nailed it on the head. Praise God, praise God. And I don't you know I, I don't think there's anything mechanical or anything wrong or anything out of place by consciously reminding ourselves in any given moment, okay, all right, wait, this horrible thing is in front of me. I'm not facing this alone. You and I are in living union together. You're the root. The sap is flowing from you to me. The life is flowing from you to me. And then it's, it's if I know that's happening, it's a lot easier to go flow. It's a lot easier to go be released. Because there's no mistaking it in my heart 
that I'm carrying the responsibility for it. I'm carrying the opportunity to be with Jesus. And, and like, I always thought it was kind of weird because the, the emphasis that Peter put on, why do you think this is because of us? He had just done it, you know? And, and uh, I just thought that was powerful. But I think it's because the preoccupation was there. Jesus is with us. And if you want to follow up that Acts 3 story, they go back and they pray, and they, they go, you know, Lord, uh, and, and the house was shaken, and it says Jesus went about and did good and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, let's live in the flow. Love one another deeply. Trying to go out and heal a bunch of people when we don't love them probably creates that dual-minded and dual-spirited thing in us. So let's feel at liberty to love one another. And then as we pray for each other, love one another, okay? So... 